Hello and welcome to Marathon Time Breakthrough. I'm joined as usual by Dr. David Burt. Dave, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Excellent. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the three most important items of kit. And Dr. Dave did say that one of those most important ones was footwear. So today, I think we're going to talk about footwear in a bit more detail, aren't we? Before we get onto that, what I would say is the type of shoes I recommend, not, not too controversially, are your current choice. If you've mm. stayed injury-free and you've steadily improved wearing them, now is not the time to be shopping around. I know we're in a culture where everything's new and everything's marketed and everything's about change. But this is is the time actually for loyalty to a tried and trusted brand, you know, not exactly the same pair of shoes, we'll come on to that. Stick with what works. And I would also add that it's incredibly useful if you can do this. I know, I know finances can be a, an issue, but if you can ideally rotate two pairs of shoes during mm -hmm. a marathon campaign, that is fantastic because it avoids consecutive repeated stresses on, on specific areas of the foot. What amuses me is even shoes, a bit like runners, need to recover yeah. from the trauma of a session. They need to decompress and mm -hmm. need to kind of settle down and get back to a kind of normative state yeah. for the next session. Of, mm. And that is going to be much easier to do when you've got two pairs of shoes mm. rotating than, than one, particularly, yeah. of course, if you're a higher end uh, marathon runner and you're running more than once a day, then mm. it becomes absolutely uh, paramount. Can I just pick up on a little detail there? When you say rotate two pairs of shoes, mm. should they be two pairs of the same model or can you have different pairs of shoes, different makes if they suit? Great them? point. If, you, if you're running on the same kind of terrain as you will be mainly when you get into the business end of the marathon mm. campaign, absolutely the same the same type of shoe the same mm. brand mm. that will differ when you're in the earlier kind of trail phases i call it because you may then want to alternate a kind of road orientated pair when you know you're going to be mainly running on tarmac mm -hmm. to a more of a kind of trail shoe with a better grip when you're mm. getting out on the trails so what was your next point you wanted to bring before i interrupted you? <laughs> no it was a timely and important interruption the next point is the, the one that I don't mind repeating. It's absolutely critical, in my view, to visit a specialist running store. Not, not a sports shoe store with a 16-year-old trainee who's, who's never run or something, but somebody in a specialist store who knows mm -hmm. what they're on about. A lot of them are very good club runners, the people who run these stores. And yeah. even if they're not, they'll be trained. Here's the key point. They'll be trained to do biomechanical assessment of your running action on a treadmill, we call it gait analysis. And they not only factor in your running biomechanics, they look at your weight and your foot shape, and it's a fantastic service. Mm. I don't tend to have it done now because I know exactly what kind of shoes I need, but early on I was incredibly impressed, and mm. I've, I've had it done in, in different stores as well and, mm. and it's been consistently good mm. and i suppose whoever's doing the gait analysis for you should present you with a range of shoes anyway everyone i've been to they're incredibly fair-minded about it and they'll be just as likely to recommend the cheaper variety mm. if 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 the results of the tests and, and your own feedback because mm. don't forget your own feedback bears out that that is the better shoe we do a service called gait analysis 
This is when we tend to watch a customer walk, look at them in their standing gait, and then pop them into a cushion neutral trainer just like this. This is a nice flexible shoe that's going to allow your foot to behave entirely naturally, which will allow us to watch you run and see how your foot wants to run. Everyone is entirely different, everyone has their own running gait. We look for something specifically called overpronation, and that is when the weight transfer through the gait cycle, your foot naturally just wants to roll and tilt a little bit towards the inside of the shoe. That's where we use a cushion shoe so that your foot can compress the cushioning in whatever way it wants to. First of all, we get people onto a treadmill. We take a few seconds footage. We can slow down that movement, look at it frame by frame and determine what your foot is naturally doing. Then we tend to qualify that by watching you run outside in a natural environment on the road, if you're a road runner, so that we can see your foot in a natural environment. If your foot overpronates to an excessive amount, we would then pop you into a couple of trainers that have got specific support in them. For example, in this one, you can see there's certain graded areas on the midsole. Everyone tends to land on the lateral side of the heel when they run, if they heel strike. And that's got a crash pad in a lot of the trainers that's got specialist cushioning in there to absorb as much of the impact as possible. If you are a neutral runner, you tend to roll through the center of the trainer and come off the five toes in a nice straight line. Therefore, we keep you in a nice cushioned neutral trainer with no stability. If your foot overpronates and rolls towards the inside as you run, we tend to go into shoes that have got a little bit of stability. This area here that's marbled just under the heel is a slightly harder density material compared to the cushioned area. Using dual densities then, as your foot tries to roll towards the inside, we don't want to completely stop it and conform it to a position. We just want to stabilize and slow down the rate of pronation that's there. This in turn then keeps your foot nice and central through the running gait and enables you to come off your five toes in a little bit of a straighter line. So there's lots of different brands available that offer slightly different ways that they build up their cushioning and stability and all the different trainers. And like we said before, everyone's feet are so different and personal preference is paramount in the fitting service that we do. So one thing that visually may look perfect for you might not feel right. So that's why you need to try lots of variations from the different brands to see what fits you right. Once we ascertain the level of support that you need, um, you try all the versions from the different brands. The only other version is um, for somebody who would maybe need a motion control trainer, and that's the highest level of support that we offer. Um, traditionally, you'd maybe see somebody with a bit of a flatter foot that might need a motion control trainer. The main differences of these are obviously the level of stability that's apparent in the midsole. So that gray area is a harder density material that runs almost through the length of the trainer right under the arch of the foot. Secondly, on the actual sole of the trainer, this is what we call a flat straight last trainer. So you can see the difference from just a mild support trainer in terms of the shape of the actual undersole of the trainer. For somebody who pronates quite excessively, the rate of movement is quite fast. So what this aims to do is, again, if you land on the outside edge of the heel, it's really trying to slow down the rate of pronation and slow down the timing as well of your foot so that the support in the trainer gets time to actually work and hope to restabilize your foot so that you come off your toes in quite a straight line. For lighter side of life in terms of racing trainers and racing flats offers you a different option from your standard kind of mileage trainer. Um, weight differs between all the different brands and there's a clear divide between a racing trainer and a racing flat. A racing flat is extremely kind of lightweight, barely anything to it, very nice weight, lightweight upper, extremely flexible and will just allow your foot, it's just basically a bit of kind of rubber underneath your foot. They offer a tiny little bit of cushioning and everyone is entirely different, again, in terms of tolerance and distance that they think that they would wear something like this over. 
would probably wear this maybe 5k some people go up to about a 10k in the racing flat but they're extremely lightweight and don't offer you any kind of response really in terms of cushioning and they don't last very long if you do do a lot of mileage in them up from that you're looking at something like a racer trainer slightly bulkier than a racing flat more of a lighter weight mileage shoe these complement your training quite nicely lots of people tend to use them for maybe their specific in terms of their running so tempo runs hill reps k or mile reps stuff like that quite nice to put something on a little bit lighter especially when you kind of come to race day and it just feels a little bit lighter weight underfoot a little bit easier to run in and again personal preference but you could take that from 5k up to even maybe marathon distance. Alongside your road running training, it's always nice to try and do a little bit of off-road training as well. Um, you can still use your standard road trainers. Um, they've got a nice bit of cushioning. The only thing is that the tread is quite consistent just to tolerate smooth tarmac kind of pavement roads. Um, what you can do is go into a more off-road or hybrid, as this one is specific trainer. This is what we call a hybrid in terms, it's a dual purpose trainer. So the idea is it's got a little bit more of an aggressive tread underneath and a bit more of a durable upper on top. So there's a closer net kind of mesh on this one. This one's actually got a water resistant nature. It's not Gore-Tex, so it can't be classed as fully waterproof, but it will be a little bit more resilient than say wearing something with a nice open net mesh on the top. This may keep your fill a little bit cooler, but this one will be protected more on the undergrowth kind of when you're running off-road. Um, it's nice that it's a dual purpose trainer because the idea is if you go out the door for a six mile run, you take a wrong turn and you end up in a field, you've got the nice track underneath that's going to give you grip underfoot. You've still got a nice bit of cushioning and stability in there so when you do get back onto the road to finish off the run, you're going to have the resistance underfoot. Okay, so I've just jumped on the treadmill, done a bit of filming. On the left hand side, I've got a neutral cushion trainer on my foot and it's allowing my foot to pronate and roll towards the inside because my foot naturally wants to overpronate and the weight belt is tilting towards the inside. So I'm compressing the cushioning and it's not holding my foot quite stable. On the right hand side of the screen now, we've gone into a supportive trainer. It's got a harder density material running through the midsole. So as my foot naturally tries to pronate and roll towards the inside, this harder density material is not allowing my foot to completely collapse and roll over towards the inside. It's keeping it quite nice and stable. If we look basically from the base of the heel up through the Achilles and up through the soleus, everything's in quite a nice stable position. Lateral side of the foot, the outside edge of the um, heel and ankle is able to stay nice and stable. If we look on the cushion neutral trainer, it's just allowing the foot to curve and slightly tilt towards the inside. And it's only over a long period of time running through the same plane of movement that you would do kind of road running or treadmill running, that this has got every potential to contribute to kind of lower limb injuries because everything's working ever so hard just to try and stabilize the foot. Whereas the trainer now is doing the job for you and should hopefully reduce the risk of lower limb injuries. Okay, so insoles um, can be used for a variety of different things. If you've sorted your running trainer and you've got a stabilized trainer, that should give you enough support. If you want to complement that through the day and you feel like you've got quite a bit of pronation in your foot, you need a bit more stability, you can add in different levels of kind of insoles. Everyone's feet obviously are entirely different and what it says on the packet should fit your foot doesn't necessarily take into account your foot through the walking gate and the running gate. So it's really important to try these things and see what's best going to suit you. Got two examples here of a low arch insole and a high arch insole. You can see the difference in the degree of the raise underneath the arch here. For somebody who's got quite a flat foot, a high arch insole raise is possibly going to be quite intrusive. But on the counterpoint to that, it might actually feel nice and stable and supportive under your foot. So personal preference is obviously key. Another side of that is a cushioned insole. 
These are a really nice tool if you've got a running trainer and you feel like it's potentially coming to the end of the life but you think you've got a good few miles left in it, sometimes adding in a cushioned insole with strike, strike points on the base of the heel and in the forefoot in the impact zones just can add a little bit more life to your trainer. So you take the normal sock liner out of the shoe, replace it with this, it'll add a bit more comfort, a bit more softness underfoot and you might find you get a bit more life out of your trainers. Alongside that then you've got a variation of kind of heel inserts, jelly heels, heel lifts to help with all manner of injuries in the Achilles up through to the calf. A gel arch is a nice day-to-day um, -day for maybe somebody who's suffering with plantar fasciitis um, but it's a nice insert to pop into a day-to-day -day shoe because if you're working really hard to make sure that your running shoes are perfectly suited for you you need to really make sure you're looking after your feet on long weekend walks, day to day in the working environment, it's very easy just to then put on a ballet pump maybe that doesn't offer you any support, any kind of cushioning. You're working really hard running and bringing up the mileage and you're not looking after yourself on a day to day basis. It must pass the gait test, that's, mm -hmm. that's the, the bit I've just discussed, mm. but at the end of the day it's also got to pass the comfort test right? because it's no good being told you've got the biomechanically most proficient pair of shoes for an 18 week marathon schedule mm -hmm. if you've got that nagging concern that eh, it's a bit tight but I'm sure it'll be alright I'm sure I'm just a bit mm. kind of because it's new rubbish if it isn't comfortable then yeah. it sure as hell isn't going to be comfortable in the no. middle of a 16 mile run no because it's going to rub and it's all sorts of rub, things going to happen all kinds of stuff yeah. so it's got, to, it's got to pass that test and a few little tips. Obviously, don't just restrict your test to the gate treadmill. Get out. They, they all let you get out on the pavement and run up and down the, the road for 40, 50 yards or whatever. And when you do that, do a few strides, run at different paces just to see how it performs You know, with the faster running you're going to be doing because that's very important. And another tip a lot of people forget is to wear the socks or buy some socks that you will be actually running in because mm. there's a big difference. If you've just come from work and you're wearing kind of civvy socks or worse, so you're not wearing socks, though I don't think they allow that for the test, um, it's not going to be a representative test mm. of, of how you're actually going to be running for real. And then another very subtle tip is... It's preferable to actually buy these shoes later in the day mm -hmm. because your feet by then will have swollen up to you know mm. the level where if there is any rubbing and, and problems and friction, it will be detected mm. because your feet will be that much um, kind of more swollen by the yeah. activity of the day. Yeah. What about seasonal changes? Seasonal changes do make a difference as well. Obviously mm -hmm. in cold weather, your, your feet are more compacted than when it's warm and yeah that does have a bearing a dog is for life and not for christmas but running shoes you don't need that kind of loyalty to, <laughs> to, to that pair you need to be able to ruthlessly discard or, or if you feel really precious about your shoes give them a graceful retirement to the allotment or, or something like yeah, that. You yeah. know, I suppose they're... you could fill them with earth and plant flowers in them if you yeah. really wanted to. I yeah. come from environmental recycling background and the thought of people just throwing shoes in the tip um, is anathema to me. So every one of my shoes has done the rounds in um, kind of family walks and mm -hmm. trips to the allotment and yeah. whatever. Recycle your pair of running shoes every three to 400 miles. And what I would say with that, because you say, oh Dave, that's, that's quite a big range. If you um, are injury prone, 
I would go on the lower end of that spectrum mm-hmm. and make it 300 miles. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, I would definitely still make it 400 miles so that you don't become injury prone. Okay, it's, yeah. But I know important. some people might be saying, well, that's going to start costing me more money. Yeah. But there again, running as a sport isn't an expensive pool. Well, you're not a triathlete, or you, you may be, but in this particular instance where we're talking about marathon running, you don't have to invest in a bike or helmets or mm. that kind of kit. And at the end of the day, the running shoe, as we said in the previous episode, is the most important investment. Yeah. Something that's super, super cheap is unlikely to meet your needs, but it doesn't follow that it's like a, a linear curve like mm. that. Often the very, very expensive brands a lot of them may be over cushioned for what yeah. your needs are for yeah. example so in essence what you're saying is obviously the cheap ones aren't necessarily the best bargain no. as far as performance and longevity and so forth is concerned yeah but by the same token you're not going to get a lot more performance out of something that is a lot more expensive no there's a sweet spot in terms of your investment and that is informed by getting a really comprehensive test. So there you go. Now, one thing that does strike me is you said you've got to change your shoes every three to 400 miles. Now, that's not the easiest thing to to track, in other words. No. Unless you're writing down your miles all the time. (laughs) Is there an easier way? There's a much easier way. And what I use with my smart scheduler um, for marathon runners is I use this kind of traffic light system where... Once they've clocked a certain number of miles, once it gets above 300, Mm -hmm. it goes amber. And then when it gets into the real business end of their wear, it goes red and it alerts them to change those running shoes. Okay, that's good. So obviously we've got quite a range there. Can you put in the sort of the the amount of miles that you need your shoes to make? You can pre-configure the amount of miles. So as we said, the um, spectrum I was looking at is if you're injury prone... You can set the thing up for 300 Mm -hmm. and if you're um, wanting to stay injury free um, then set it you know 350 370 whatever up to 400. Once you've chosen the right shoes you need to put them to good use so I'm delighted to say I've opened up a few more personal strategy session slots you have an opportunity to get on a free 30 minute one-on-one video call with me to plot out your fastest path to marathon success. Depending on where you're watching this, you can get access below the video or simply go to the podcast area on marathontimebreakthrough.com and follow the link in the show notes for episode 8. I think the main points to take away are you don't have to spend a fortune. You do need a good gait analysis. Mm. Um, And you need to make sure the shoes are comfortable. There you go. Excellent information again. Thank you, Dave. Fantastic. Do join us again next time where we will be covering a lot more in-depth information, succinct information with no BS with Dr. Dave Bird. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks, Mark.